What up, Team 10? Jake Paulers. It's your boy, Kevin. Actually, I'm not here with Team 10. I tricked you. I'm here with another podcast. This is episode number 23 of your favorite podcast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back here on another Friday night showing you some great footage of me podcasting in the wild. Um, so, we are going to do this episode like any other time. I've actually found some pretty funny content to talk about uh, for the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Um, but with that, remember guys, if you have a question, concern, you want to at me, this is at Kevin underscore Hobie, and uh, you can send some of your messages about the show to me. But with that, let's get into some of the news that we have today. So the first piece of news that we have is on Yemen. Some of the attacks that they are performing on Saudi Arabia. Yes, you heard right. Yemen is attacking Saudi Arabia. And for some causes that they think that they're in the right for. So we're going to explore that a little bit more. Our second piece of news is about uh, Fukushima, the nuclear power plant that was compromised uh, during a tsunami. Um, what they're doing with a bit of the cleanup there. And we're going to deep dive into a little bit more of some of the solutions that they're coming up with how to deal with the nuclear kind of aftermath of the disaster. Um, and our third piece of news, I believe, is on Brexit. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Brexit is happening. And what will it make of the small islands of Britain? Uh, how will it affect Ireland? How will it affect Scotland, Northern Ireland, England, Wales, all those crazy little places over there in that small little area? Brexit is happening and we're going to look into that. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me on this Friday night. I'm Kevin and you are listening to A Mention with Kevin. All right, let's get right into it. So our first piece of news is on Yemen. Um, so Yemen's Houthi military spokesperson said today, the group has launched 26 rocket attacks. Yes, let me say that again. 26 rocket attacks against airports in Saudi Arabia. Uh, facilities belonging to oil giant Saudi Aramco and sensitive, two sensitive targets deep in the Saudi Arabian Kingdom. The spokesperson for the Iranian-aligned group, Yahya Saraya, said the attacks, which were first announced on Thursday, were in response to airstrikes carried out inside Yemen by a Saudi-led coalition battling the Houthis for the past five years. The Saudi authorities have not confirmed the strikes, and the coalition has not responded to the requests for comments. If confirmed, the attacks would be the first by the Houthis on Saudi Arabia since last September, when the group, which controls most of Saudi uh, urban centers in Yemen, said it would halt missile and drone attacks if the coalition ended airstrikes on Yemen. Um, that offer came after the Houthis claimed responsibility for September 14th's attacks on Saudi oil companies and facilities that initially half the kingdom's output. Rehad rejected the Houthi claim and blamed Iran, which, of course, denied it. So, um, after a lull in hostilities in recent months on many fronts, violence has escalated at the Nemf front line. 
um, east of Yemen's Houthi-led capital, Sana'a. Since a January 19th missile attack on the government's military camp killed more than 100 people. Saria said the recent Houthi attacks have occurred between January 25th and January 30th, when, uh, and the targeted airports were in Jizan, Abha, Najran, and Kamis Mushet. The Yemen war in which the United States and Britain back the Saudi-led coalition has killed more than 100,000 people and pushed millions to the brink of famine. So um, I didn't really know that this was going on right now. I knew that there was um, some separation and some opposition from the Houthi and the Saudi Arabians. I also know from what we talked about a little bit earlier here uh, about the Saudi Aramco um, oil industry group. They had originally proposed themselves as being um, a trillion dollar company, um, and they were trying to get, uh, I think, trying to go not public, I don't want to say, but they were trying to get evaluated for that price range. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't meet that. And then after kind of drawing this attention to themselves and how much money they were worth, the Houthis went after them. Um, so it's interesting to see this going, a uh, little bit of instability kind of rising again within Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Uh, I didn't know these kind of things were going on. Um, it's very saddening to kind of see like both of these forces are kind of uh, fighting each other. Ultimately, it's, it's also sad in a climate change kind of way. I was kind of hoping that this company would be evaluated and then kind of restructure themselves to work on cleaner energy sources, um, solar, wind, um, hydro might not be, it's, it is possible in parts of Saudi Arabia, but I would see solar, wind farms, things like that, moving towards better um, sustainable energy sources. Um, but unfortunately, they, they've kind of put a lot of their eggs in one basket, and that is the oil industry. Um, so it's sad to see that this, this precious resource is, is really just being wasted by being attacked by barrages of, of, of missiles from the Houthis um, from Yemen. So it's sad to see on both fronts. Uh, kind of the aggressions and the violence and the famine that is causing and at the same time industries kind of uh, being used as kind of a hostage in between this and, and we're seeing natural resources being depleted because of this uh, so it's interesting where this will go forward um, but with that we'll leave the story there and we'll pick it up if anything else uh, is introduced so going into our second story we are going to talk a little bit about Japan a Japanese government panel today roughly accepted a draft proposal for releasing in, uh, into the sea massive amounts of radioactive water now being stored in the tsunami wreck Fukushima nuclear plant. Uh, the Economy and Industry Ministry's draft proposal said releasing the water gradually into the sea was the safer, more feasible method, though evaporation was also a proven method. The proposal in coming weeks will be submitted to the government for further discussion to decide when and how the water should be released. Uh, nearly nine years after the 2011 meltdowns of three reactor cores at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, it was a small step towards deciding what to do with the water and follows experts' recommendations. It is meant to solve a growing problem for the plant's operator stuck between limited storage space for the water and an imminent backlash for the public and possible neighboring countries. 
Uh, fishermen and residents fear possible health effects from releasing the radioactive water as well as the harm to the region's image and fishing and farm industry. Because by releasing this water, you are ultimately sacrificing the environment around it um, to some extent. Uh, obviously, the ocean should dissipate a lot of that nuclear... I don't, I, I don't know what I have to say, the fallout, I guess, because it, it was a disaster um, and should dissipate enough because it's such a large volume of water. Um, and it's able to dissipate further further into the ocean, but it could still affect the immediate population of fish and wildlife within the Fukushima plant area. Um, so fishermen and residents fear the, the health effects that can come from this. Uh, the water has been treated, and the plant operator Tokyo Electric Power, TEPCO, says all 62 radioactive elements it contains can be removed to levels not harmful to humans, except for tritium. Experts say there's no established method to fully se separate tritium from water, uh, but it is not a problem in small amounts. Government officials also say tritium is routinely released from existing nuclear power plants around the world. Um, in today's proposal, the ministry said the controlled release of to the sea is superior because its traveling route is predictable and easier to sample and monitor because of currents and and what we can see kind of with the ocean, it's easy to predict about where things will move around and, and how water works and, and in terms of what what kind of waterways are being used as well by vehicles, by large freight ships and stuff like that. That could also be a, a great determining factor in terms of uh, where the water currents will travel towards. Um, so with that, the method, however, could immensely impact Fukushima's still struggling fishing industry. So obviously the fishermen are very upset with this and it's affecting their community greatly. The report acknowledges the water release would harmfully would harm industries that still face reluctant consumers despite diligent safety checks. It promised to reinforce monitoring to of tritium levels and food safety checks in order to address safety concerns. TEPCO currently stores about 1.08 million tons of radioactive water and it only has space to hold up to 1.24 million tons, or until the summer of 2022. The water, leakage of cooling water from damaged reactors mixed with contaminated groundwater has accumulated since the accident. The report ruled out a long-term storage outside the plant, a method favored by many Fukushima residents, it cited difficulties obtaining permission from landowners and transportation tra challenges, as well as the risks of leakage from corrosion, a tsunami, or other disasters and accidents. So ultimately, it would just mean more infrastructure, kind of making the situation a little bit more complex. Um, obviously, the people of Fukushima and that area, uh, they have industry, they have lives, and they're trying to rebuild that. And the fishing industry has been very difficult for them. I think the government in some way should be liable in terms of trying to find these people kind of a better fishing zone or something like that. Something that they're able to buy um, a harbor or something and they're able to kind of compensate these companies or compensate the companies for, for, for what, what's going on for their bad fishing seasons and stuff like that uh, because this will ultimately affect all their small businesses. Um, but with that, that, that's kind of the approach that they're going to take. It looks like they're heading towards more of the path that they're going to release it into the sea, into the ocean, and they're going to monitor it as best as they can. 
Uh, we'll see if anything changes from that or if um, there, there'll be many more health re reports or alerts because of this. But ultimately, that is the decision being made right now. Moving on to our third piece of news, Brexit. So at a gas station on a highway between, between Belfast and Dublin, Gary Campbell was fueling up his truck and spilling his thoughts on the United Kingdom, uh, UK, sorry, leaving the European Union. They'll put the spanner in the works. I don't know what that means. Said the trucker who believes politics and politicians are getting in the way of Brexit solution that works for Northern Ireland. Campbell drives back and forth across the Irish border every day from his home near Belfast, south to the Republic of Ireland. But it's not the politicians out there on the road doing this job. They go back to their office and they start complicating some other thing. That level of frustration is echoed in northern parts of uh, in other parts of Northern Ireland that have relied on the free flow of goods and people within the European Union for decades. But as of 11 p.m. local time today, the UK will no longer be part of the European Union and the details about the future trade agreements still need to be sorted out. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Friday, January 31st, 2020. It is episode 23 of the podcast, and Brexit is happening. The Irish border was a sticking point during negotiation for the withdrawal agreement. There were concerns a hard land border on the island, the Isle, island of Ireland could lead to cumbersome lineups, political unrest, and even a return to violence. Oh. Um, so instead, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson deal puts the border on the irish sea essentially a border inside the uk where goods going between great britain and northern ireland will be subject to checks it would give the eu control over what is making it into northern ireland and possibly down to the republic what we are going to be concerned about is what rules and regulations we will, will uh, what regulations will be put in place said seamus lahaini a very irish name uh, policy manager for the Freight Transport Association. Worst case scenarios, if the system isn't robust and efficient, you can have a backlog of goods. The process will remain as it is now during the 11-month transition period, but eventually there will likely be new checks and paperwork required at the ports in Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Lehaini said those things take time and time cost money. You know what they say, ladies and gentlemen. Plata u plomo. No, no, I'm, not, I'm joking. I'm joking. Time is money. Um, if it's going to cost more for companies in Great Britain to send goods to Northern Ireland, that means maybe consumers here will have to pay more for those products. Business owner Paul Vallely worries international customers could stop buying from companies in Northern Ireland because of the complications. He owns Cocoon Rugs in Newry, near the Irish border. The family-owned business buys rugs from around the world and sells primarily to UK and EU markets. Uh, for him, the unknowns include tariffs and the process needed to import and export. Customers could be putting off buying from us if they're in Europe. They could put off from buying from a UK-based company just because of the unknown, said Vallely. The sooner we get the unknown out of the way, the better we'll be able to trade as a business. He said any downtime in sales could cost jobs. That would be a bitter disappointment because we are genuinely a family-owned business. And we treat everybody here like family. Well, 
A lot of small businesses would say that, but I'm, I'm sure this is the case with him. Eamon Canoli, managing director of the Nuri Business Improvement District, suspects there will be extensions beyond the December 31st, 2020 deadline for the transition period to end. Canoli, who works with hundreds of businesses that operate near the Irish border, said it's hard to believe the UK and the EU will be able to come up with a solution in 11 months and points to the fact that it took seven years to negotiate the trade deal between Canada and the European Union, which we have quite a good uh, relationship with the European Union. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys kind of are. They're very optimistic to say 11, 11 months. There have been more twists and turns in this journey than we could have expected, he said. I know there will be more. All we can try to do is be flexible and adapt to how it emerges. The negotiations will likely be tense as the two sides try to find a compromise. For months, Johnson has required unfeathered trade across the Irish Sea with no custom forms or paperwork required. If somebody asks you to do that, Tell them to ring up the prime minister, and I will directly, uh, I will direct them to throw that form in the bin. Johnson has recorded as saying at the Conservative Party event in November, but that problem that probably won't be the case in the UK. Wants a clean break from the EU customs union and a single market. In the United Kingdom, it seems that many still believe that you can leave the European Union institutes, leave the biggest trading bloc in the world, despite, despite um, from uh, depart from regulations that have helped put in place without experiencing any negative side effects. Michael Barnier, uh, the EU's chief negotiator, said at an event in Belfast earlier this week, Northern Ireland will be part of the UK most impacted by Brexit. Sitting in a coffee shop in Newry, Canoli said he hopes that he, when the politicians are at the negotiating table this year, they will think about communities like his. At the end of the day, we are a small part of an island on the edge of an island of the edge of Europe, which is very true, he said. Anything that brings on extra complexity or cost is not good for us. So very optimistic for this Brexit. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you my opinion on Brexit. I think Brexit is not going to be very good economically for the people of the United Kingdom. I just see it as the European Union had a great organizational sense of how to run things. I honestly see the rise of Brexit as a rise of nationalism, of traditionalism, and it's kind of a step backwards. I kind of also see it as a form of bigotry and racism actually <laughs> if i'm going to be completely honest uh brexit from what i see is a bunch of boomers um going ahead and trying to become an independent nation and try to keep britain the way that their grandparents had had britain they don't want to bring in new immigrants or uh new refugees to come and live in the country and kind of benefit from it and also become part of that community um they don't want to learn from other cultures and stuff like that. Uh, they want to keep Brex. Brexit is about keeping Britain, Britain. Um, so in this case, I've, I've also seen stories about how there's been rises in uh, racial altercations. White supremacy has been taking up uh, hold within this Brexit movement. I just really think it's a negative idea. I, I don't really support anything with in terms of 
not allowing immigrants to come to another country. Uh, as the son of an immigrant of this country, I am very pro-immigration. I, I think that is a good thing for people. It's a good thing to see other cultures. It's a good thing to learn from those cultures and to have them come into your community, benefit from it, but also benefit the community by serving the community. Ultimately, when you come to a new country, you also affect that community by by learning and, and being part of it and, and joining schools. You, you have to kind of assimilate into the community regardless. You have to learn the language. And so I, I think in this regard, I'm, I'm very disappointed to see what has happened and, and how kind of this generation has kind of, I wanted to see the younger generation say, no, like we're accepting of, of, of people from different parts of the world coming to Britain and, and calling themselves uh, British citizens. Uh, but I guess not. And I, that's why I think they separated ultimately from the European Union. I think the European Union with Ang Angela Marco, um, just what a strong figurehead. And I, I actually admire her greatly and I'm inspired by her, by her moves to let in so many immigrants into Germany and see them. A lot of people have negatively spoken about this, especially uh, Marie Lapoire, I think it is. La Lapoire. Um, she is the French right candidate who is very anti-immigration again, anti-refugee, anti-anything uh, that is against her French culture and very um, racist in that regards. But I think Angela Merkel for bringing these people from different parts of the world um, that are struggling, that need shelter from their from their countries, it's not safe for them. I, I've just seen such a, a massive care from the German people in doing this. And I think it'll positively influence them in the future and it will make them stronger as a nation um, showing how kind and empathetic they can be to another culture and accepting. Um, a lot of people would just call them doormats or whatnot, but I think it's the more human thing to do. It's almost like you're let, you're inviting somebody into your home and um, you're allowing them to, to eat with you and to, to, to have an intimate, kind of like intimately let them in your home. Your country is your home. Um, and so when I see the British people do this, I kind of see it as an almost like they're, they're, they're slamming the door and they're, they're, they're shutting their door from other people trying to come into their country. And so it, it saddens me a little bit. And that's just my take. I might be wrong. As always, if you if you feel very strongly towards this, let me know. Um, you can send me a mention. Remember, it's at Kevin underscore Hobie. All right, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go on a little rant on um, just a great YouTube channel. I'm, I'm not supported by him. I, I'm not... Um, advertised by him he didn't ask for this uh, but just something that I've been watching and I've been just really interested in. and I I really developed an appreciation for this kind of videos that he makes and I would just like to kind of recommend it to you guys if as a Canadian myself I'd like to support another Canadian I've mentioned him before uh, this is the channel of just Jolie I've really gotten into the idea of minimalism environmentalism and healthy living trying to train my body in terms of going to the gym, um, performing different exercises and stuff like that, challenging my mental state, um, but also challenging my materialism and how I can be more sustainable. And this man, Just Joe Lee, mm, he hits all the right places that you should be challenging your life with. Uh, I watched a video on, on what things that we tend to keep a lot of in terms of our clothes, um, how we can donate them, um, repurpose things, um, how we can choose uh, different methods in order to 
kind of be more sustainable buying products that don't have a lot of single-use plastics for their wrapping or for uh, their storage that we can be more sustainable with our purchases um, it's also very inspiring to see a Canadian kind of take up a lifestyle as a minimalist with such cold climates. We have a lot of seasons here in Canada and half of those seasons are cold weather, snow outside like it is today. Um, so it's interesting because when you see a lot of minimalists, you see them coming from California, Arizona, these warm places where really you just kind of need one outfit or two kind of outfits if it gets a little chilly outside or just shorts and t-shirt and that that's kind of it. But just Joe Lee kind of he accentuates that, hey, Canada has these colder months. You should have the proper equipment to deal with that, but it doesn't mean that you have to go overboard and buy too much. Um, so I really like that. He's very honest with his reviews. He really likes matcha, which I also enjoy matcha. He's into that coffee culture game, kind of game, and he does such a great work at framing his videos with, um, with his with his lenses, his different cameras, and the way that he edits is very, it's very genuine as well. So I really enjoy it. So if you guys get the chance, check out Just Joe Lee on YouTube.com and tell him Kevin sent you. And uh, Just Joe Lee, if you're in Toronto, come hit me up, boy, and we'll make a collab. All right. Anyway, we're going to get into the fun part of the show. And that is my advice column. Whew. Today we got a spicy piece of advice that it just it it actually made me cry when I, I saw it because I was laughing so hard of how funny this advice is. I don't know what type of advice this is going to be genuine advice because I still don't know how to answer this question, guys. Let's get right into it. This viewer writes, someone kidnapped my dog. <clears throat> I'm reading this word for word, let, letting you know from the email. <clears throat> a, my name is Tro Tyrone. I lost my dog, Boof, about a week ago, and today I got a cryptic text message asking for a ransom of $5,000. I had my Indian homeboy, Patel, try to trace the text message. After a while, he managed to reroute the MD5 hash through the OC3 optical line, and homie was able to triangulate the location of the text. Nice job, Patel. Me and Patel traced the location and went to the rescue. I was strapped with a screwdriver, pepper spray, and a portable torch. While Patel ain't about it, but he had a crowbar he broke off from his homemade Slurpee machine. <laughs> this story gets better, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with me. We got to the location and it turned out to be a health center. When we went inside, we was shocked to find out that it was a brothel and secretive. One of the employees was there was a huge white lady who had a scar in her left eye. She had grills and talked with a Florida accent. She told us there was no dog there, that if they did find it, they'll give us a call. However, my homeboy Patel noticed a dog cookie on the floor. We pointed it out and they tried to do some funny business. Patel used his Indian nose, <laughs> I'm sorry, to smell the dog while me and white lady began to tussle. Now, I don't like putting my hands on women, but when it comes to boof, I just do about anything. I'm sorry. I'll keep it I'll keep it professional, ladies and gentlemen. She got me good though. Not going to hold you. My homeboy Patel came back empty-handed. It seemed like the other employee must have hit the dog because even with his Indian smell and abilities, we came to a standhaul. I think it's a standstill um 
writer, but regardless. I don't want to call the Poe boys because I ain't one to F with the authorities. I ain't no stitch, feel me. But I feel like for Boof, I need to put my gangster aside because the enemy is more lethal than I expected. I learned that the word lethal last week reading the Oxford Dictionary, so pardon if I used it wrong. Any advice would be much appreciated. Well, homeboy, I'm glad to hear that Boof has such a good owner that he cares a lot about him. I I really don't know how you can get this tongue back. I think um, you should show the authorities the text about the $5,000. Also, actually, you know what? This just came up to me right now. You have some pretty interesting friends there, my my dear viewer, and I really enjoyed your message. I think you should hold a sting operation. I think you should really get your boy Patel, that crowbar, buy a briefcase, load it with a bunch of fake money, like put like $5 bills of like worth of 5000 But like maybe like the top row is actually like real or yeah. Yeah, make the first row kind of like real. So put like a real $5 bill and then after that, just fake money after that. Put in a briefcase um, and like meet in an area. Also in an area that like the police are near, you could, you could have some of your other friends come by and kind of deal with this. And then um, you could trade the money for the dog. Um, if it's them, uh, you'll see them approach and you can kind of, you could even get your friend Patel to videotape instead of use a crowbar. Give that slurpy crowbar to you just in case things go bad. Um, so you can have this operation. You can grab your dog, give them the fake money. Um, they'll realize that it's fake, but you got your boys in the back with airsoft guns and they come out and they pretend that they're robbing you for the dog. And then they take your dog and they rob the other people. And you have like a, a, a triple complex loop where, where where your friends are robbing the robbers, but they're also robbing you. But really, you're robbing everybody because those are your friends. And then everybody wins. And you videotape the whole thing. And at the end, you say, it's a prank, bro. And you post it on YouTube. And oh, man, the view count will be crazy, my friend. Um, I really also think that you should make your own YouTube video. The way that you worded this. I think you are such a character. You're a beautiful character. I think that character needs to be explored on YouTube. I'm actually kind of sad that you lost your dog, Boof. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's also kind of weird that a brothel would steal a dog. Um, I'm very worried about the kind of community you live in. Uh, where well, I, you, you said this woman talked in a Florida accent, so obviously you're not from Florida. I'm very confused by a lot of things. I'd love to meet you. I would love to be I would love to set up the sting operation with you. I can I could wear some cool sunglasses. I can do whatever. You know what? If I open this drawer right here, I think I'm 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 already ready. I I have sunglasses. Let me just get them out. And I could be like I could be like, I don't know, like uh I could be a fake police officer. I could put on these sunglasses and be like, "Hey, you're under arrest. <laughs> Give us the dog. You have the right <laughs> to give me boof and uh you can you can give me like a, a paintball gun or like something like that and then i can i can arrest your friends for doing the robbery and i can arrest everybody and this will work out and then again we could say it's a prank at the end and post it on youtube um but if not i think the best idea 
uh, would to be contact the actual authorities, um, tell them about this whole issue, show them what your friend Patel did, uh, or maybe don't. Maybe maybe Patel crossed some lines that he should have. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm just so happy that you have such a, a good friend Patel who's able to track down, triangulate the location of your dog, um, or the text message. Anyway, I would report this to the police, show them your findings, tell them who you're suspecting of, and that um, if they're not willing to do it, maybe do a little kind of like surveillance of your own where you're taking pictures and videos of potentially them with a dog. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, for Booth's sake, you should go to the po'boys and the authorities. I know you're not a snitch, but this is for Booth's, Booth's case, all right? Think about Booth. Think about Boof and Patel, the only characters mentioned in the story. Anyway, that is all our time for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me on this Friday night. I have been Kevin. You guys have been wonderful. I will see you guys on the next one. Just remember, brush your teeth, and don't forget to floss. And I'll see you a la próximo. Ciao.